What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Today, Matt and I are taking a break from our NFL divisional previews to talk a little fantasy football. Draft season is upon us. The vast majority of fantasy football drafts are going to take place over the next couple of weeks, and we wanted to help get you guys ready. We have a special guest, Calvin, from the Second and Goal Fantasy Football Podcast here to answer some of the biggest questions of the season and really kind of do a draft kit episode to help you prepare for your draft coming up. Uh, I'm hoping that he can help me with mine. If you guys were with us last year, you know that I had a really rough fantasy football season leading my league in points, but missing the playoffs somehow. So we're going to prevent that this year, and we're going to help you guys along the way. Let's go. All right, Matt is here, joining us from some undisclosed location on the west side of Michigan. (laughs) Where are you? Uh, I am literally in a Meyer parking lot right now. <laughs> Sick. So Matt uh, is having some technical difficulties with his move. So he's joining us by phone. If he sounds a little scratchy, we apologize. Uh, and then making his first appearance here on Fouled Out, we have our friend Calvin from the Second Goal Fantasy Football Podcast. How's it going, Calvin? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk some fantasy football. It's August. It's draft season and I'm ready to go. So yeah, thank you guys for having me. And yeah, I'm ready to get started. Yeah, man, we're excited to have you. I So I had a particularly brutal fantasy football season last year. Uh, <laughs> I led the league in scoring, but somehow missed the playoffs. So Ooh. the reason we wanted to have you on is mostly because I want to avoid that. It's completely like selfish reasons. I want to have a better season. And I guess if we help some of the listeners out, that that's probably a good thing as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how it goes sometimes. It's crazy. Like if you play in, I mean, the vast majority of leagues are matchup, one matchup per week like that. Sometimes you get an extra game against the median, but like it can just be like that. Sometimes you all, it seems like you're always facing the highest scoring team in the league. Luck bounces the wrong way. And yeah, it's difficult. You need a lot of everything to go right oftentimes to win a fantasy championship. Matt, when was your last I mean, fantasy I... championship? Cause your name's not on that trophy either. Oh, <laughs> uh... Actually, my name is the first on that trophy. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that one. Um, But yeah, Calvin's here to help us with our drafts. He's going to help you guys with yours. The vast majority of fantasy drafts are going to happen within the next like two to three weeks coming Mm -hmm. up here pretty soon. Um, And ADPs and a couple of things that we're going to talk about may change a little bit in the next couple of weeks. But uh, we're here August 7th and we're kind of going off of where the rankings are right now, kind of where the consensus is versus where Kelvin kind of sees things and maybe where some things are going to go. So I guess the first thing is really overall, when you approach a fantasy draft, do you go in with a strategy or you kind of let it come to you? Like, how do you get into these things? Yeah, I think my answer to that is definitely going to be similar to a lot of people's is that it your league dictates it for the most part. I'll go into a draft and think something's going to happen. And by the eighth pick, it's just completely out the window and all my league mates are going differently like it depends sometimes there's more casual leagues I definitely have my home league that I'm in a couple of home leagues where it's like these guys follow it maybe from August to December and it's like they're going to be not know as many of the rookies for example you can get values on those guys just depends players that have changed teams maybe you haven't fully done they haven't fully all done their research on that yet and then At the same time, there's also analyst leagues out there that I do, like the Scott Fishbowl is one of them, where it's like mostly analysts in there, year-round people, and 
they can be on the ball, but they also have their own biases as well. And so it all just depends on that. If you see guys dropping that you're interested in grabbing, I just try to go for value for the most part. I'll have my different approaches, which I'm sure we're going to get to in a minute. Um, I definitely like to go running back early, for example, lock up that elite tier production. I think wide receivers are far more replaceable middle and late rounds. I have so many guys that I love as targets there, but in general, like, if your league's fading a specific position, a specific set of players, that's how you go about it. Value-based drafting, take what you can get. And if you can just build a good team and get some upside shots later on, I mean, that's really the best strategy you can go into a fantasy draft with, in my opinion. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you. I kind of, I went in last year with kind of like a hero RB strategy, mm-hmm. um, trying to get one of those elite guys early and then doing a lot of pass catchers. I kind of regret that, made my team very uh, up and down very like mm-hmm. variable throughout the season with the good pass catchers and not as solid as running backs. Do you see the running backs as being like a more consistent asset where you're going to kind of know what you're getting every week where more wide receivers are boom and bust, even the elite guys, or do you think we're getting to a point in the NFL where there's kind of a solid floor for everyone that's in that elite category and it's just kind of preference? Yeah, I think there's it's can be a solid floor for both running backs and wide receivers. But at the same time, those elite guys, it's very it really is highly variable at the top. Like, I mean, it's highly variable at the very top for running backs, too. You don't usually see a guy repeat at number one. But these names at the top, like Jonathan Taylor, I mean, he's one of the ones that's been a little newer on the scene. But even the last couple of years, been a first round pick. Guys like CMC, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry. We've seen a lot of these guys up there for a while now, and they continually are. The fact, I mean, that running backs are much less, definitely less durable than wide receivers for the most part can be concerning. But I think with that elite consistent floor, like you mentioned, week to week, there's really like a select few running backs that can offer that in the draft. And then you'll end up having maybe just a couple receivers who are really distinguishing themselves from the pack. But it depends from year to year, because like a guy like Cooper Cup, he was the wide receiver one overall last year, far and away. And he was going in the fourth rounds of drafts and guys like guy like Jamar Chase. He was going even later, maybe in the fifth round of drafts in standard 12 team leagues. A guy like Stefan Diggs a couple of years ago, he broke out out of nowhere. You're going to be able to find those guys later on. And it's always it's never going to be a guarantee whether the guy you picked is going to be the next big breakout receiver. But late in drafts can be an absolute goldmine. And it feels like in a game where there's a lot of luck either way. You shouldn't be shying away too much from that, like maybe injury risk of running backs and more just knowing the fact that if you grab a bunch of receivers in the middle rounds, that gold mine in the middle rounds, and then take shots later on guys with upside, especially with opportunity, it feels like you'll have a pretty good chance to just have an all around incredible breakout team. And sure, injuries can hurt, but that's going to happen no matter what. You can't really avoid that. And so I'm much more a fan of taking a balanced approach or even an RB heavy one to get elite upside at the top in the first round, lock up that less replaceable position and then get wide receivers later on. Yeah, it makes sense. I I look at like the first round of this draft, particularly um, in a lot of like redraft formats and look at some of the running backs who are up there. So like, say you have like the second pick or like the third pick in a redraft this year. Are you okay going with someone like a CMC or like a Dalvin cook, like someone who has a well-known injury history Or are you looking for like kind of a safer floor at that point? It's a hard spot for me, but I'm, it's definitely going running back, but I, and I think Jonathan Taylor is my number one overall pick, but yeah, number two, like you said, number three, that's where it gets tricky. Cause 
I'm tempted by a guy like Derrick Henry, who's had elite production, but other than that one big injury last year with the foot injury, been exceptionally durable. And meanwhile, Christian McCaffrey, we know, has just not been able to stay on the field at all. But McCaffrey, he's an interesting case because normally the fact that sometimes players are injury prone until they aren't, where they'll have a number of injuries to a number of different parts of their body. But and then just come back like I mean, Dalvin Cook a couple of years ago, everybody thought he was injury prone. He's been playing full seasons now as of late and been perfectly fine and more durable than most. But CMC, who just gets that like next level otherworldly workload where he can carry the ball 20 times and catch it eight times. And that's just a regular game for him. He's a lot more risky. So I still see him in that tier one spot just because I think there's two guys who can produce at incredibly or maybe three guys who can produce incredibly high levels a tier above the rest and I think that's JT Henry and McCaffrey all guys who have done it before and then maybe a guy like Austin Eckler in a PPR league but McCaffrey's up there because of his upside he's probably behind a guy like Taylor he's definitely behind a guy like Taylor probably behind Derrick Henry for me number three is where it gets tough but that's just where I've got to go with McCaffrey and because I see the upside. And especially if you're in a half PPR or a PPR format, it is a base floor every week that is just incredible. And even when he was out there in his limited games last season, he had one game where he didn't score a touchdown and he was still a top five running back because he just gets that kind of workload. No other running back can really do that with their pass catching floor like CMC can. Yeah, we know CMC is kind of like the cheat code in yep. fantasy football, much like a rushing quarterback, someone with elite upside, uh, not only rushing the ball, but then catching it out of the backfield as well. Uh, one of the only dudes who's ever had in a thousand and thousand season, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's tempting. I definitely see why people are tempted by it. It just makes me nervous that he hasn't played that many games the last couple of years. And I want kind of like a safe floor with my first round pick. I'm really nervous that my first round pick's going to get hurt. I kind of see the wide receivers as being a little bit safer. Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, uh, maybe Jamar Chase to a degree if you're drafting late in the first round. Would you consider a wide receiver like earlier mid first round or are you pushing those guys kind of late first round, early second? I'm pushing the running backs just because, again, like you'll see, like, I mean, the guy like Cup and Chase, like you mentioned, those guys can come out of the middle rounds and be dominant. I think last year it was probably like they're definitely more of the exception than the rule that Cup out of the fourth round was literally the wide receiver won by several points. Like that doesn't usually happen, but you can get guys who are elite or good wide receiver ones at the position. I don't see prioritizing that in the first round, but what I do, I I definitely get your point on McCaffrey at the same time, because a lot of analysts will tell you that the first round, the first couple rounds, that's where you just don't want to lose the league. You don't have to go out and win it right there because in the later rounds, there's going to be so many gems at every position, not just at wide receiver that will make a difference. There's going to be so many guys on the waiver wire and the draft. If that sets your foundation for your team, Men, then you have so many shots on late round guys and potential opportunities there that for guys to far exceed their draft position. Whereas in the first round, if you're drafting McCaffrey at three, best case scenario, he's the RB one worst case, he's hurt and out for another year. So at the, then, then you think about it that way, maybe it's much more safer to get a guy like Dalvin cook. But I think there are just very few RBs that are safe in general, in terms of completely injury free, because again, we saw cook get injured earlier in his career and then he was fine. McCaffrey, he played a full season, then got multiple injuries when he just hasn't been out there. Sometimes it can just be a string of bad luck and guys will get over that and be out there just fine. So it all comes back to luck for sure, but I'm not targeting probably a wide receiver until around maybe pick seven or eight. Usually I think there's about six or seven running backs. I'm comfortable with ahead of the first Cooper cup or Justin Jefferson, me personally. 
it is hilarious that we all get so wrapped up in and like spend so much time on a game that comes down completely to luck. Yeah. And you, you lose to the guy who put Tyler Lockett in his lineup last minute and Tyler goes and catches like four touchdowns. And yep. Uh, Matt, what about you? Are you like, are you risk averse in the first round? Or are you willing to take a swing on someone like CMC? With my history, I am more risk averse. Uh, you know full well how many first and second round picks I have had that have missed at least half the season with injuries. And that can really derail your season if you don't hit on like a Cooper Cup or something like that. It's not really worth it to me to take that kind of a swing. If, you know, I have the third pick and McCaffrey is sitting there, I'm much more comfortable going with someone like Kamara. While he does have some injury history, it's not as extensive and his ceiling is also league winning personally. Interesting. Yeah. So is there Calvin, is there like a particular strategy that you're an advocate of this year? I know we, we've talked a lot about like getting running backs early. Are you like a get two guys in the first two rounds? Are you like a RB robust or are you like a hero running back kind of guy? Where do you lean? Oftentimes it's more robust RB for sure, especially last year. I remember going really heavy. The last couple of years, it's been really heavy on RBs for me. I think I've softened a little bit for sure to where, like you talked about going hero RB. I do oftentimes, if there's like a wide receiver at the end of the second round who drops to me or in the middle of the second round who I feel like is still in the elite tier, it's sometimes just too good to grab, to be true to grab them. And I feel like this year there are a few more middle round running backs, maybe not like two middle, but like third and fourth round that can slip there. Like, I mean, a James Conner or Brees Hall, like I'm comfortable with those guys at my RB2 enough to where if I'm in the middle of round two and like Devontae Adams is sitting there or Stefan Diggs, I'm happy to go ahead and take that for the floor. And because it does, well, it's not, it's kind of a like false narrative in terms of that being an entirely safe floor, but you've got a relatively good chance that he, there, those guys are going to be top eight receivers next year. And that's pretty much as good, about as good as you can ask for. As for the other positions, I mean, for quarterback, for me, that's not a position I'm targeting early. I'm a big proponent of the late round quarterback strategy, getting the next guy who's going to break out to become QB one. But all of those guys up there are also just incredibly highly variable. Like you look at the guys at the top, even the quarterback one, Josh Allen, there's so many good guys up there like Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen could easily drop off and be the quarterback five next year. Just be if, if he sees a little bit of touchdown regression, those touchdowns come and they go and they're fluky. And we know that and quarterbacks rarely at the top, they will give elite production for many years on end sometimes, but not necessarily separate themselves from the pack multiple years in a row. But later on, the fact is, in most leagues, a lot most quarterbacks still score a lot of points. So you can get a guy later on, pick up a guy off the waiver wire, play the matchups, which are very predictable, and the matchups oftentimes will illustrate almost exactly what a quarterback's going to do that week. If he's got a great matchup, he's going to break out. And then pick up the next guy, look for du maybe dual threat upside in the late rounds. That's something I like to look for and a trait that's really common among a lot of these guys. If you get that next guy, like a, I mean, a player like Trey Lance in the late rounds, just because of his rushing upside, he's got so much upside in fantasy leagues because of how many points he can score on the ground. So waiting on quarterbacks for me. And then for tight end, I'll just to sum it up briefly, it's either get a guy early or wait for me and punt it. The middle round tight end is, is strategy is just too much garbage in there to really sort through. I'd rather take a shot on a guy in the 15th than spend a seventh on Dawson Knox and be disappointed. So it's either get a Travis Kelsey or wait on it, that for me overall. But yeah, that's pretty much how I'd approach most drafts. 
First of all, anybody who says good things about Trey Lance is absolutely welcome back on this podcast. <laughs> I, I have all sorts of Trey Lance stock from the 2020 and one, <clears throat> the 2021 NFL draft, and I'm super excited to watch him play for the 49ers uh, just from a football perspective. But from a fantasy perspective, I like him as well. I think kind of what happens with the quarterbacks is a lot of casual players when you are in the first couple rounds of a draft, you know the names, right? You know Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson. But you start getting into like round three, round four. You may not know who Brees Hall is. You may not know Cam Akers and Travis Etienne, some of the more popular running backs kind of in the three through five rounds. But you know the QBs. And you want to take like guys you know are good and that you like. So the value gets inflated a little bit there. Really, like you said, you can kind of get steals later. So what's your advice? Like I know you said you'd kind of wait a little bit later on some of the rushing upside guys. Are you, what is like the earliest you would draft a quarterback? Are you like a round five guy or you wait until even later than that? I'm usually like almost always waiting. And it, if sometimes it'll depend on the league, I'm never going to, I would never advise to do anything like always in a league because say it's round middle of round five, every single person in your league is the late round quarterback guy. And Josh Allen's sitting there, go ahead and take that. Absolutely. Because then you're getting to a point where it's just ridiculous. And he scores, he was elite last year. He's the best bet to finish at QB one. Even if you, I would take the field over Josh Allen, I wouldn't take anybody individually over Josh Allen, but for the most part, I find that there's always that guy or usually that guy who will at least take a quarterback early in round three, maybe late in the second round, depending on that. That's way too early for me. I would never really consider one until at least the end of round four, but that's more of a personal preference. I would understand taking Josh Allen middle of the fourth, maybe earlier, but no quarterbacks in the first three rounds is pretty much a hard and fast rule for me. I usually end up getting a guy in the eighth or ninth as my first quarterback, maybe the seventh, if there's really a guy I love, but then that's kind of just, you know, it's a lot of those guys also like, or you're getting to that point where maybe they're not locked in to be elite, elite QB ones anymore. So it's either there or it's just a total tank where I'll just be like, all right, I'm streaming. Give me Daniel Jones and Carson Wentz. And I'll pick up a guy who's facing Jacksonville week one. Sometimes it goes like that. And that's how the draft plays out, but I'm happy with it. If I get value at other positions. Okay. So you, you're like totally okay. Just not even getting a quarterback at all. Really. Yeah. If you don't get someone that you like at a good value. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if it's, if there's no value, the whole draft, you could just go the whole way. And then in the last round, like, I mean, there are still quarterbacks who are likely to start all their games for their teams and maybe put up some solid production. Like if you wait till the last round and grab Trevor Lawrence, he's the quarterback 18 on fantasy pros. That's very possible. But I mean, even look at his upside, former number one overall pick just got Christian Kirk and a new coaching staff and he can run the ball a little bit. There is some upside there and he's going so late. So I'll just take as many shots on running back and wide receiver as I can grab Lawrence. And I don't know the week one matchup for him off the top of my head. But if you get like, say, uh, like Mac Jones, who's usually going undrafted, has a good week one matchup, throw him in there, grab 18 fantasy points. That's a fine quarterback week. That's a good replaceable quarterback week. And then hope it, hopefully Lawrence breaks out. If not, look to the waiver wire. There's a few guys on there every week who will at least put up some solid production. And again, like it is very predictable and very sticky when it comes to quarterbacks. Very few times will you see a quarterback go up against an amazing matchup and just absolutely throw up a dud. So if you can eliminate that risk as much as possible, play the matchups and then maybe have one guy or two guys on there who are good to break out. That's a fine strategy and you don't have to spend any draft capital on it at all. I think a couple good examples of drafting a quarterback late and having him hit too are uh, Patrick Mahomes was yep. almost free his first year as a starter. 
as well as Lamar Jackson. You could get Lamar Jackson in like the 10th plus round. Yeah. His first year as the starter in Baltimore. And those guys ended up being like top five QBs those years. So uh, I like guys like Trey Lance for that. I like guys uh, like Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, guys with like a little more upside who can, you know, they have the pedigree as well. Yeah. Herbert was another example too. He absolutely exploded as a rookie. And I don't think very many at all drafted him. I historically have been kind of pick your QB later for much of the same reasons that you have laid out, Calvin. However, I I have kind of started waffling a little bit more with the evolution of the running quarterbacks with their floors raising higher and higher. And if there is like a Josh Allen sitting there in like the third, fourth round, then I do start thinking about that a lot more. If I've got a true wide receiver one or an RB two sitting there for me, like that's, I don't know if that's the right value yet because quarterback is literally the deepest position in fantasy football. Yeah, absolutely. It's not close too. I mean, like I said, a lot of those QB twos, you can still start and have decent games from. And most fantasy leagues, Derek Carr is going to be like, middle of the road or bottom of your league in in terms of starting quarterbacks. But like, that's a really solid option every week. Yeah. So I think that's the best advice is really just to wait on quarterback. You have high upside guys late. If you could get value on them, do it. If not, look at streamers like Calvin said. So Calvin, I just got done listening to your draft kit podcast. Uh, If you guys get a chance, go over and check out Calvin's podcast, second and goal and listen to that draft kit, he goes into a lot of detail about who his favorite players are by position and kind of who he's targeting, who he's avoiding. Um, but just for like a quick overview for our audience here, who are some of you, like your top targets independent of position uh, in these 2022 fantasy drafts? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, like you said, in, in that episode, I went into a lot of detail on a lot of different players and I won't list all of them. That's going to get real, real boring real fast. But uh, to start it off, yeah, my absolute favorites, I would start at wide receiver. And one guy who I just think is going like criminally underrated is Traylon Burks at the wide receiver 43 on fantasy pros. He is pretty much, I see him as the clear wide receiver one in Tennessee, the guy that they just shipped off AJ Brown. They picked up a first round draft pick and used that on a big bodied receiver in Burks who plays so much like AJ Brown. It's scary. Like he's 225 pounds, six foot two breaks a ton of tackles. It is in it's all you could really ask for, especially in a Ryan Tannehill led offense where he's just an okay QB. And like right now, Traylon Burks has almost nobody to compete with other than Robert Woods. I don't think we've ever, we've never seen Robert Woods though, be a wide receiver one anywhere. Robert Woods is a complimentary piece always has been with Cooper cup. He was never the better as much as people wanted to pretend that Robert Woods had the safer floor and was better than Cooper cup last year. It's maybe a bit of a, it's obviously a bit of revisionist history there, but the fact is, I mean, Cooper cup always did have the higher ceiling and I had believed that for multiple years as well. But just the fact that like woods, 
He's never the dominator. Burks can be the dominator. He's got all the tools to do so. And that first round draft capital historically, like, I mean, we've seen a lot of guys with high draft capital get really underrated in fantasy football drafts. And uh, the prime example last year is Jamar Chase, who did go higher than Burks at number five. But we saw Jamar Chase sitting at wide receiver 30 around that in preseason rankings because he was dropping some passes in training camp and because T Higgins was there. And Burks isn't quite the prospect that Chase is. I don't I think we've seen very few like him. But it's rare that you get an opportunity to get a guy in the 40s who has that athleticism, is the clear wide receiver one in a decent offense, and will have a lot of opportunity because, let's be honest, this defense is going to have to defend Derrick Henry. Defenses are going to have to defend Derrick Henry, but at the same time, Derrick Henry can't run the ball on 100% of plays. Very few teams even run the ball on more than half of their plays. And so there's going to be a lot of play action, and that's going to be huge for Burks. And historically with A.J. Brown, we even saw a lot of his production, his production go up with Henry out there versus when Henry was gone just because of that play action game. So he's going to be lethal. I think another guy at running back that I really like, I mentioned earlier is Brees Hall, another rookie who is sitting in that like mid tier back end RB two range, but he's got a lot of opportunity and a lot of talent in a rising jets offense. So I feel like it's a very easy floor pick for me because you know, the volume's going to be there. I don't really see how he's going to finish much worse than a top 20 because of that consistent volume. And he's a good enough player to where he could sneak into that top 12 territory. And he can catch a few passes as well. So, I mean, those are a couple guys. I like I mentioned before, Trey Lance, those are some of my top targets. Then I have some guys for later on in drafts as well. But um, a couple those guys, I end up getting in a lot of drafts. I have both on my, uh, Scott Fishbowl Analyst League team. And yeah, I'm excited for them this year. Yeah, I like Traylon Burks. The I feel like teams tell us what they're going to do this season a lot more with their actions than their words. Yep. And I know there's been some concerns about Traylon Burks here kind of early in camp. And I think you could say the same thing about Trey Lance too, where you're seeing tweets every day. Oh, he had a rough practice. Oh, he did this. This happened. Like Traylon Burks has asthma. Lots of draft capital was spent on these guys. Traylon Burks, Tennessee felt comfortable trading away the guy who's been their wide receiver one for years and then drafting Burks. Trey Lance, the 49ers traded multiple picks to go up and get this guy, like three first, a second, all sorts of stuff to go up and get him, and now they're making him the starter. You're Mm going to see offenses kind of based more around these guys just based on the capital and the money that's been spent. So I think there's a couple good picks there. Uh, Let me give you a couple more names. And I want to get your thoughts on these because these are some of the guys I like. And see if you talk me out of them a little <laughs> bit or if you confirm these for me. Uh, my first one's actually AJ Brown, who you mentioned. I think he's falling a little bit because he's in a new offense. People are kind of unsure about Jalen Hurts. But a lot of the things that made him really good in Tennessee, like you said, catching balls often like kind of in the play action game in the RPO game uh, from Ryan Tannehill. I see him having a similar role in Philadelphia. Yeah, I love that choice. And I'm Brown's a guy I like too. He's wide receiver 12 on fantasy pros. And just he's the perfect fit for Philly because he doesn't he's I don't think AJ Brown's going to be like top five in the league in terms of target share. That's just not really possible with this offense, but it doesn't necessarily matter for him because he's really the perfect receiver where you can target him six times. He'll catch four of them, but then one time he's over the middle. He just breaks a tackle and oh, he's gone. I mean, his like long speed isn't incredible, but it's good enough to where he can just get by players. And he is one of the most like efficient tackle breakers in the league to the point where everybody was projecting regression for him after that, like first year where he had incredible yards per catch at, yards after the catch and he just kept doing it over and over he's a lethal downfield threat but 
oftentimes Tannehill, he was still in that dink and dunk game, the over the middle slant route, like over, crossers, RP, and he can function perfectly in an RPO offense with Jalen Hurts because he can still play near the line and make plays big just because of that physicality that he brings to the table. So he's done it in the past where he's had that wide receiver one season in 2020, despite not any having anything crazy with the targets. Like he had a good target share, but it wasn't anything insane. And like, like you said before, actions can speak really loud about how teams feel about these players. They just paid AJ Brown a ton of money, $24 million a year, or $25 million or something like that. That signals a shift in the offense. And when they gave the ball to Miles Sanders 20 times and ran it with Jalen Hurts 10 more and got blown out by the Buccaneers in the playoffs last year, I think the Eagles knew it's time for a change. So why not bring in a superstar receiver to help out Hurts, who's got a big arm, but maybe he's a bit too inconsistent. And Brown's going to help that a lot. I love Hurts, and I really like Brown as well next year. I like it. And I feel like you kind of get a discount on him. He's in the third or fourth round, kind of yeah. depending on how many teams are in your league. He last year was like a guaranteed late second round receiver at the latest. So I think the Jalen Hurt discount is real. Uh, my second guy is AJ Dillon, the running back for the Packers. I know Aaron Jones is like a mid, maybe high second round pick this year. I think that both of them are going to get a ton of work and have kind of similar stat lines. And you can get AJ Dillon maybe four or five rounds later, like in the sixth or seventh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I think A.J. Dillon's going to be just as involved as Aaron Jones on the ground or almost just as involved and get a lot of goal line work. The limit, limited pass catching work is what worries me a little bit. But now with Devontae Adams gone, I like what you said. I think they're going to be shifting a lot to a, more of a run first offense. It's not going to be like there's not quite enough for both of them to where like Dillon, who's going as a back end RB2, high end RB3. It's scared. I always just have like a bias in my brain and I know it when a guy doesn't have the full backfield I and he's like either a 50-50 split or maybe a little bit less than 50-50 like Dylan. I have that bias knowing that he's not going to have top 12 upside. But at RB25 around his area, who are you getting that really has top 12 upside? Like there's Miles Sanders, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Kareem Hunt. Those guys don't have top 12 upside either. But Dylan... He has a good floor. And what's nice is with Jones, he doesn't have to be too dominant to still be efficient. In a change of pace role, he'll always be fresh, always be coming out there. And I mean, he is a dominant runner anyway. So he's huge and has incredible quads and also is a great guy. Like, I mean, just between the tackles and he can catch passes a little bit, but I mean, not as much as Jones. But the point being, Dylan can still dominate inside and he's always going to be fresh when he's not out there for 70%, 80% of snaps. So He's a good guy to get for efficiency purposes. And one thing I heard recently, I was actually just had a guest on my own show and someone pointed out that he pointed out that at the goal line, Rogers calls his own number so much to throw the football. And a lot of that was with having a surefire wide receiver one in Devonte Adams, who you can throw it to. And Rogers doesn't have a guy like that this year. So maybe at the one yard line, we see a lot more goal line carries. And I think AJ Dillon is the backup choice at the goal line compared to Aaron Jones. So he's got some potential for next year. To just be a nice RB two. Matt, are you in on the quad God or you, how do you feel about Dylan? Be clear. It is Lord large quad. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, I think having watched him kind of towards the end of the year last year, he, to me, looked like he had surpassed Aaron Jones for me personally. And that's coming from me being an Aaron Jones guy. I, I, for a lot of the last couple of years, 
I was a big, big proponent of a, a lot of the change and the elevation of the success of the Packers came with the arrival of Aaron Jones and the running game. But we are seeing Lord Large Quad uh, just take things to another level. And while he is not Derrick Henry, his running style is somewhat Derrick Henry-esque. And that is an element that just not a lot of defenders are suited to handle. And his hands aren't terrible. And Mm -hmm. there's no way that they're not going to make sure, even if they are still running with Aaron Jones, that he's not also getting his 15 touches a game. And I think he can do a lot with 15 touches, especially if five of those are inside the opponent's 10. It's not a bad dart to throw. I'm still calling him the quad god. I prefer that's large, large quad. But uh, And then my last guy, I will go on to the next segment. Uh, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. I was huge on him coming out of college. Some of the advanced stats like dominator rating uh, and breakout age in college suggested that he would be very productive in the NFL early. And now I think he's kind of getting his shot to be wide receiver one in Baltimore. Um, Calvin, how are you feeling about that guy? Yeah, that's a good shot to take. It's one of the many where I just love it in that range. I feel like what you're going to see with wide receivers a lot and what you see every year is in that wide receiver 25 to 45 range, there is not much that separates these very, like these players. Like you look like a guy like Traylon Burks and a guy like Jerry Judy at wide receiver 25. I'd probably have Burks ahead of Judy next year for fantasy football. I'm, I'm not super in on Judy this year, but it just all, it goes down to personal preference a lot, but sometimes you'll see these guys who are so similar fall down down two, three, four extra rounds. And Bateman, who's at wide receiver 27, I mean, that's a little bit higher, obviously, but he's still in that range where he can slip behind a few guys and suddenly he's you're getting him at a wide receiver three price, but he's the top wide receiver in that offense, like you said, and he's a very, very good and talented wide receiver as the metrics show. Kind of got off to a slow start last year because of injuries. And the, the one thing concerning him, of course, is just how much Lamar Jackson runs the ball. But we've still seen Hollywood Brown be able to be productive there at times. And I mean, I think Rashad Bateman arguably even fits this offense a little bit better because when Lamar is scrambling out to the right or scrambling out to the left, he's looking for guys in kind of the short to intermediate area or he's going to take off. It doesn't not normally going to be. I mean, he definitely makes his deep throws on the run, but it's not normally just going to be something too crazy to where you're just risking it all and maybe going to throw an interception. Bateman is much more of a better, much better route runner in space than Hollywood, in my opinion, and could get a bit of a more consistent target share for that reason. So in that spot, it's not a bad shot for me. It's not he's not necessarily a guy I'm going crazy out to get because I still think the upside is a bit limited there. But at 27, it's not a bad price at all. And he's a very talented player. You're right for sure. Yeah, it's a good. It's a good area of the draft to pick him up too. I think he's going like eighth or ninth round right now uh, mm-hmm. in Yahoo ADP. So just as important as the guys that you want and the guys that you're targeting are the guys that you are trying to stay away from this year. Uh, who are your like top guys that you're just out on? Yeah, there's some. There's always some, unfortunately. I think one of them at quarterback is just Dak Prescott. I really, really, really don't want to take Dak Prescott because what we saw is last year and his splits, his splits were with his top three guys, CD, Amari, and Michael Gallup. They were great. And without them, 
they were just kind of bad. And he would throw it to Dalton Schultz a lot. And sometimes just he was not nearly as clutch, not nearly as dominant, didn't have it much upside. And he doesn't like to run the ball anymore for some reason. So that's not just giving him like the a little bit of rushing upside. He used to be a like 300 yard rushing kind of guy. Uh, I'll check on what he had last year, but I don't think it was up to that 300, 400 yard mark that we could usually see Dak Prescott hit. Yeah, he was just 146 rushing yards on the ground. So like that's a small number, but those yards are worth so much for fantasy players that like I don't see Dak Prescott with top five upside anymore. Cooper was his safety guy. Now that's gone too. And Gallup's out for the start of the season. CeeDee Lamb's great, but even if he handles a, a 30% target share, which would be absurd, he's still got to throw it the other 70% of the time to somebody. And we've seen Prescott struggle to do that when he's not surrounded with studs. I mean, he's still been fine but he's not a guy worth taking at quarterback 10. You can get a fine guy at quarterback 15. That's just Kirk Cousins. Easy. He's got some weapons in the offense. He'll be always fine. He'll have some good matchups and play some good games. No need to spend up on that at quarterback 10, where you're paying quarterback one prices for somebody in like day eighth round. And then I think Prescott definitely at quarterback at RB. Uh, I don't love Travis Etienne. I think I, I see the upside and I get flip flop on him a lot. James Robinson has report been reported to be ready to go by mid-August, potentially. And the fact is, they're both coming off season-ending injuries, but Robinson, I feel like, has is still the better running back between the tackles and would get the majority of the carries. I've always thought that watching ETN's college film, I wasn't blown away by his between the tackles running. Thought he was a little too patient, thought he was a little bit moved a little bit too laterally behind the line and didn't quite take advantage of those holes all the time when he needed to. Robinson's a much more north-south guy. So I see ETN as more of a pass catcher, but spending up prices on him. And then I think you might have that one Travis Etienne truther in your league takes him at the RB 17 or 18. That's just too high. Um, other guys like that. I mean, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, I have no confidence in no matter what, where he is. Uh, just, he's really just not a good football player in my opinion, in terms of, I mean, he's great for like the rest of the world, but in the NFL, he hasn't been successful. I think Chase Edmonds is in too crowded of a backfield. Um, at wide receiver, like it goes along with the Prescott pick, but I think C.D. Lamb, who's been going sometimes even top five in drafts, that's just too high. It's a ceiling pick, and you're banking on a big leap for him to even pay off at cost. And then just a guy like T. Higgins, who I don't see a huge season for him being sustainable along with Jamar Chase there as well. So those are some examples. Some other guys probably as well, but those might be the biggest names I'm shying away from for the most part. Matt will 100% back you up on the Dak Prescott stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody who listened to our yeah. NFC East preview last week knows that Matt is like just 100% out on Prescott. Yeah, I mean, and it kind of goes the same there for, for CD. I, I talked about it, how like CD Lamb and Michael Gallup are, yeah, they're good receivers. They're great in number two and number three roles. But the loss of Amari Cooper shifts them into more pivotal, pivotal roles than they have been in the past. And when they have been put in those situations, they have not thrived. And neither has Dak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Matt's just a Matt's kind of a cowboy hater on the side, too. So take it with a grain of salt. But you got Kelvin uh, on here backing that up. Uh, let me give hey, you like one hey, or two guys. I like some Tony Pollard. <laughs> I like Tony. Uh let me give you one or two guys here too. Cause I have some big names that I'm out on, uh, kind of actually like really bigger, like first couple round guys that I'm avoiding at all costs. The first one is Javante Williams running back for the Denver Broncos. I absolutely love him as an NFL talent. I think he's a phenomenal player. The 
timeshare with Melvin Gordon scares me. They just paid Melvin a bunch to come back. I know there's reports coming out of camp that it's like a 70-30 split or it's like a 60-40 split. I just don't believe it. Yep. You're right not to believe that because that was speculation from a reporter and only two running backs have hit that threshold, the 70% of the carries threshold all last season. And that was just some reporter who was projecting that based on speculation. But the reports coming out of camp is that it's been much closer to 55-45 in terms of who's actually getting the carries. The thing is, like with that margin, if Williams could just get it up to like 60%, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. But you know, you know what? Like you're right. They paid Gordon a lot, and he hasn't showed signs of slowing down. He's still a decent running back. Williams is probably the pass catcher, maybe a little bit better at the goal line. And he broke out in a big way last year. But I can see shying away from that, especially if you have to pay RB1 prices. The Williams fever was real especially before Gordon re-signed. He was way up there in drafts. It was crazy. And yeah, he's not necessarily a guy I hate, but I can understand that pick and staying away from him because they haven't, even in the second half of last year, they still didn't go away from Melvin Gordon. Javante Williams is just playing out of his mind. That doesn't necessarily, that pace that he had isn't going to continue in quite the same way. So he, I mean, he doesn't have any sort of like crazy top five upside to me. So it makes sense to avoid him at that spot over a guy, especially like, I mean, even a guy like Alvin Kamara, who's going a lot lower because of that potential suspension that doesn't even look like it's going to happen. That actually seems like a screaming value compared to Williams, who just doesn't have the same upside that Kamara does. That's kind of the key too. is like, if I can get Javante Williams in like the third round, something like that, somewhere where like, I'm a little bit more comfortable taking a risk on him, yeah. I would do it. It's, you know, if you're taking him where he's at, you're taking him over guys like Kamara, James Connor, Brees Hall, you know, some guys who might have a little higher upside than he does just because he's in a split. Like if Melvin Gordon wasn't there, I would probably be looking at him as like a late first round pick, but it just makes me nervous, man. Yep. Uh, The other guy I want to talk about is Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Atlanta. He's currently the tight end three going in probably like the late third, maybe the fourth round, um, maybe even fifth in some drafts. But I just don't trust anybody who's catching the ball from Marcus Mariota. Yeah, it's a fair point. And I think there's the pit. The Pitts hype is crazy. And like, especially in Dynasty. There are like a lot of people out there who would take Kyle Pitts at the first overall pick, like in a dynasty league. And it's, it's just so crazy. Like I can never quite decide whether I like am as in, he had over a thousand yards in his rookie year. He was just so incredible. Got kind of unlucky with touchdowns, but I always find myself, even if I'm liking Kyle Pitts, there's that one guy in your league who is the Kyle Pitts truther. And at that point, it's just like, Oh, I'm not going to fight him with a, this high of a, draft capital pick. So I never end up with him on my team because I'm never going to get into some crazy bidding war over this tight end who's had one season in the NFL. Like he's incredible. Maybe the best talent ever to come out of the Like he graded as a prospect, honestly, better than anybody ever has. Maybe like a Gronk would be the only one who measures up to that. But like he is incredible, but it feels like everybody and, and maybe not so much in more casual leagues, but it feels like everybody's in on Kyle Pitts and it's too hard to just pay the premium that you're going to have to pay to outbid these five other crazed lunatics who are going after him at all costs. Yeah. There's been a rumor. The Falcons might trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. And if that happens, I just think Pitts stock is going to go through the roof in your <laughs> fantasy redraft leagues and in dynasty. And I, I just, it's a lot for a guy who as talented as he is, we haven't necessarily seen it yet at the NFL level for him to have like a full elite season with a lot of touchdowns. I think he only had one last season in his rookie year. Yep. 
And then like the fact that Marcus Mariota is going to be throwing those guys the ball. I just, I just don't trust the offense there in Atlanta. Um, so the last category here, one of the kind of maybe not as like much for casual fans, but like one of the favorite things to talk about for a lot of fantasy drafters is the sleepers. Like who's that guy I'm going to get in the 10th plus round. Who's going to win me my league, make me look super smart and help me kick my friend's butts. Who are your like big sleepers that you're looking at this year, Calvin? Yeah, absolutely. And there's just a lot at wide receiver. I find myself loving the wide receivers in the late rounds. And again, it's all based on a lot of preference and it's just, there's a small margin between these guys, but you can get some major values. Look at Kenny Galladay, who ran. I mean, he he had he had that one clip that surfaced there. He like earlier today, he just ran just an absolutely awful route. Didn't look like he was really trying. It's concerning that he's not playing the best, but again, still having maybe getting over the hip stuff a little bit. But he's at wide receiver fifty three and being paid eighteen million dollars a year. I am much more confident in Galladay given the fact that they just added Brian Dable who is much more equipped to use Galladay as a downfield passing threat, which is what he is, than Joe Judge and Jason Garrett, who wouldn't give him a chance. There's no way that if Brian Dable actually schemes it up so that Daniel Jones is throwing the ball deep and giving it to Kenny Galladay, who is still, in my opinion, a top five or top 10, 50-50 ball receiver in the league, then that he's not going to score. He's going to score zero touchdowns again. It's just impossible. I see wide receiver 53 for this guy as his floor, because I don't think his talent's gone away. I think he's had, he's had multiple thousand yard seasons in the past. And the thing is he's never been a good route runner. So that concerns me that he doesn't want to try on routes in training camp sometimes. But the fact is that's never been his game anyway. And I think he's ended up knowing that he's not a burner. He's not a route runner. He will catch balls downfield and take it from any corner and score long touchdowns. And so that upside there is too good to pass up at 53 where you're getting in those 12, 13 round 13th rounds and other guys around there just are kind of suck and have no upside. And then you see Kenny Galladay who isn't the best, but I think even if he gets back to a shell of what he once was, he could still be a value Christian Watson at wide receiver 67. I see he's risen up these rankings a few spots too. That's a tough bet on Watson because he looks so raw as a prospect, the fact that he's in like, they just think about it purely on paper. He is an early second round wide receiver, very early in the second round. Who's going to play with Aaron Rodgers and has a legit shot at being the wide receiver one. That's incredible. And you never see anything like that in this range of the draft. Like look, even 20 spots higher. You still don't see guys usually with that upside that Christian Watson has. So why not spend a 15th round pick on Christian Watson? Because there's no harm if he doesn't work out, but Nobody really, no one in that range has that amount of crazy upside. So he's a deeper one that I'm looking at. I like looking at those rookies later. I know Jahan Dotson's having a good camp. Don't mind him at wide receiver 61. If your league has IR spots, look for Jamison Williams at wide receiver 63, because I love him as a prospect. Once he's back for the Lions, that could be big. I think at RB, it's harder to find those league winners in the late rounds. Sometimes it's off of the waiver wire, but I still like Cordero Patterson to maybe start for the Falcons. He's at RB 36, even later. I think almost no one knows that Marlon Mack snuck off to Houston and look who else is there. Nobody except this fourth round guy, Damian Pierce. So Marlon Mack ran for a thousand yards in the past in his career. So why not bet on that existing production? And I don't know, later on, it just gets into that running back absolute dead zone. I don't know if you're getting many guys after that, that have that a ton of upside, but maybe draft a handcuff there that can work out for you like a Chuba Hubbard. I think people have forgotten about a lot. I mean, like you said, if McCaffrey keeps getting injured, I mean, that that's a problem for McCaffrey owners, but Chuba Hubbard could get out there as well. And he's still the primary backup there. So 
those are some guys to look at there, in my opinion, who are later in drafts who have some upside. They're definitely dart throws. They're all going to be, but they have a lot of upside, more than guys in their range. Do you, speaking of handcuffs, do you subscribe to the theory that you should draft your own handcuffs, or do you think you should draft other teams' handcuffs? Like if someone else drafts CMC, and let's say you have Dalvin Cook, would you pick like a Chuba Hubbard so you can get the upside if CMC goes down, or do you like to have the protection of having like a Alexander Madison in case Cook goes down? I think I've been a little more biased towards the protection in the past, but I think the analytics and the people a lot smarter than me in analytics have done analysis on this and shown how drafting your other team's handcuff is like percentage wise more likely to work out for you in fantasy football, like when you're spreading your wealth around versus like kind of committing to one backfield. Nonetheless, I will still like I take a guy like Hubbard to cuff McCaffrey if he's just in the last round of drafts, because why not? I don't want to totally tank my team. And it is I think it, it also can be concluded that is that is the slightly safer play analytically. But there's no need to like draft Zeke and Tony Pollard on the same team. That just doesn't make sense. There's too much draft capital invested into one backfield where you're really only going to get value on one guy. I'd much rather take somebody else's um, later on like that. And like, I mean, sometimes I don't end up getting like the top handcuffs. It just, I'll, I'll take a shot and get a couple, an extra wide receiver or two, and maybe just try to play running backs off the waiver wire. But if you're going to draft guys, Unless it's really late, I'd rather take somebody else's. But if it's later on and you have a CMC and really want Chuba Hubbard, there's no harm in that. And that's a nice, safe play to do in the last round or two. Yeah, Matt, are you handcuff yourself or are you like a you want to get the other team's handcuffs? I have found more success using the other team's handcuffs. I feel like every time I've gotten my own handcuff, it didn't matter. And then if I have managed to get like an Alexander Madison when I don't have cook, like I get a little bonus there. You know, I get an extra potential play that I can throw in there. I like it. And then uh, I just want to throw out one sleeper here. I don't want to give Matt too much ammo. Many of you guys know that Matt and I are in multiple leagues together. We've been competing against each other in fantasy football for years. So I don't want to give away too many of my sleepers to Matt. But one guy I really like is James Cook, the running back for the Buffalo Bills. I just don't think that Devin Singletary and Zach Moss are all that in a bag of chips. Um, I think we've seen them struggle in the run game. And to add someone explosive like James Cook, uh, not only in the running game, but catching the ball out of the backfield, I could see him taking that over later in the season. So I'm thinking like maybe kind of a stash for half the year and then kind of wait for him to get some more touches. But um, you got any thoughts on James Cook, Calvin? Yeah, I th- I think that's he's got some upside absolutely and I think right away he becomes the immediate pass catching back for this team. It's just I-, I like taking stock in that draft capital at the end of the second round but at the same time the Bills' history over these last few years with this coaching staff is just let's go grab Devin Singletary in the third. All right, Zach Moss in the second. All right, uh James Cook and none of them ever go crazy. They're all just kind of sharing with each other and it's reflects the Bills, I mean, approach to more of the modern NFL where it's not unless you have a super superstar. It's smarter to give two or three guys the bulk of the carries, and they haven't. Let's. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, they haven't had that difference maker, like that complete hit. Like Devin Singletary was a value in the third round. Zach Moss more of a bust in the second. They haven't had that superstar come out there. But like James Cook doesn't wow me in terms of the running game. I just don't know. He he seems pretty low likelihood to be some sort of superstar, but it is possible, and you never know. And it's. 
fair to wonder based on that draft capital. It's just that the Bills' history with RBs has been too frustrating for me to where like I'm not I'm not avoiding him at his spot. He's going in the late 30s. That's a fine spot for, choice for me. But relying definitely if you if he goes higher, he's not a guy I'm relying on. And especially early in the season, you're going to have to endure a bit of bumps a bunch of bumps for sure and it's probably not going to be till later if he does go crazy which i mean there's maybe a small possibility yeah it makes sense it might just be better to have that flexibility on your bench as well Mm -hmm. if you're just going to stash someone like that so uh but he's got upside though for sure yeah if someone could take over that bill's backfield just any of those guys like it'd be big upside but you're right there is uh definitely like a split carries amongst you know two of them if not three of them uh, last topic that we wanted to ask you about before we let you go, uh, you host a podcast called second and goal fantasy football podcast. Um, I think you, you're doing it mostly year round at mm-hmm. this point. Um, and you're in some dynasty leagues as well as redraft and it can be found Spotify, Apple podcast, really anywhere you guys are checking us out. You can listen to second goal as well. Um, I personally listen to it on Apple podcast. Tell us a little bit about the podcast, kind of how long you've been doing it, how you got started, um, and what you're doing over there. Yeah, thank you. And I appreciate that you checked it out and appreciate the plug as well. Yeah, guys, you can find it like wherever. We pretty much submitted it anywhere. If you want it somewhere else, let me know and send me a DM. I'm, it takes like 10 minutes to submit it to another place. Like if you're a big Pandora user or something, which we're not on yet, you can <laughs> submit it to me over there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's been crazy, like almost 150 episodes now for the podcast. I've been doing this now well over for two two years. For a lot of that period, uh, I was I had co-hosted that with my friend Chris who uh, is like, but once he he goes to a different school than I do and has been like, especially busy with various stuff to where he wasn't a full-time he came off of the full-time co-hosting job a little while ago we still have him on from time to time and it's always fun to talk to him and every like a lot of different guests on i've been having as well especially for the couple episodes coming out this week so i just i mean i just started it like literally one day i was like oh man i love to talk about fantasy football and so like it, i mean i had known that for a while but just wanted to like hop on so i recorded it on voice memos a show with my brother and it was terrible sound quality and it never got published, but I ended up practicing for that season, then jumped on of like March of 2020, right when the pandemic hit and it just became something to do. So I put a lot of effort into it and it's grown a lot. And it's like, I mean, it's been great to have some people on. We've had a couple of big names in the industry on the show over the course of the last couple of years. And it has been just an absolute blast. And yeah, I mean, I love doing this. I love guesting on shows as well. So thank you guys for having me as well. It's great to talk to you. And I mean, it's a lot of fun just talking to all sorts of people in the industry and in a sports podcasting world as well. But yeah, just check it out wherever you get your podcast. Second Goal Fantasy Podcast. I try to preview elite analysis to win your leagues if I can. That's the goal over there. And I put a lot of effort into that. And so be sure to check it out if you want to win at fantasy football. Yeah, and he's going to help us win our leagues this year. We really appreciate you being on, all your advice. Um, Definitely some guys that I hadn't thought of before who I'm going to be targeting now um, with some of the breakdown that you gave us. So really appreciate it, man. We appreciate you being here. Thank you. Yeah, great great to be here, and thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem, man. We'll see you soon. Uh, thanks again to Calvin for coming on, giving us some fantasy football advice to help Matt and I try to beat each other this year. Uh, Matt, I know you're somewhere in Michigan. 
<laughs> like I said, undisclosed location. You have any uh, kind of final thoughts on fantasy football this season or the upcoming leagues that you want to share before we sign off? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of like touched a lot more of the uh, the general rules in the discussion earlier in this episode. Uh, but I think it's also key to kind of think about you know, how while a player may not necessarily be worse or better from one year to the next, but their situation does change. Like, you can look at a guy like Cooper Cup, who is clearly incredible and has been fantastic for years. I don't know that last year he was necessarily a better player than he has been in the last previous couple of years, but his situation improved significantly with the addition of Matthew Stafford. In addition, addition, you can look at this year where he now has the addition of Allen Robinson, who's probably the best wide receiver that he's played with. And also a wide receiver that kind of fits a lot of what Matthew Stafford likes. His targets could go up because of the additional attention to another wide receiver, or they could go down because he's got another guy to throw to. So there's there's a lot that you kind of have to look into with each player, and you're kind of just rolling the dice, honestly. It's a good point. The only other advice I wanted to kind of dole out here is that every fantasy football league is unique. And one of the unique things about fantasy football in general, but really about every league, is that you are going to have different people in your league who are fans of different teams. You know, the reason that people get into fantasy football is because they are such a big football fan to begin with. So a good example, the league that Matt and I play in, I'm a Patriots fan. Matt's a Lions fan. We got a Broncos fan, a Bears fan, a Ravens fan. Am I missing anybody? Seattle, maybe? Yeah, I think there's there's probably one in there that we're missing. I can't think of it off the top of my head. but Yeah, but, but there's a bunch. And so you kind of know in our league that like, Trent is going to be looking at guys like Javante Williams, Jerry, Judy, Cortland Sutton. Like he's going to value them maybe a little bit higher than some of us do uh, for right or wrong, because he probably has better insights into those, like into the Broncos than you and I are going to being a Broncos fan and following them day to day. Yeah. But just know that about your league mates. Like if you're in a league, that's all lions fans, you don't need to beat everybody to Deandre Swift by drafting him fourth. Like take the value let other people make the mistakes and try to be as unbiased as you can and take the guys that you think are valuable, not just because they're on your team. Like let the Ravens fan take Lamar Jackson in the third. You don't need them. <laughs> Go get your value elsewhere. Yeah. It's, it's a lot like what they say about hitting in baseball. Just take what comes to you. You, you can't, you can't force it. I mean, you can, but it doesn't usually go well. So. It's ultimately the rule in fantasy is just kind of take what comes to you in the draft. Just know where the value is and what you're aiming for and kind of how you want your team to look going in. Uh, I will be taking as many running backs as I can get my hands on this year after suffering through what I suffered through last year. I'm kind of finding myself taking, you know, four running backs in my first five picks right now in mocks. Uh, And it may change before our draft here at the end of August, but I'm finding myself going running back heavy. Like Calvin was saying, uh, I'll probably stick to that strategy just because last year I had so many good receivers, but ended up with like Javante Williams and Michael Carter 
at running back by the end of the year, and it was a struggle. Uh, but that is it for us. As always, Fouled Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, and you can find Matt on Twitter at Matador underscore defense. If you're digging what you're hearing here, do us a favor and go to your podcast app of choice and leave us a review. And please take some time uh, this week or next week, anytime really before your drafts, to go check out Calvin's show, Second and Goal. Uh, I've been listening for a couple months now, and it's it's phenomenal. He does a really good job over there and gives you a lot of good advice to help you win your leagues. Like That would be my number one piece of fantasy football advice for you this year, is if you want to win your league, go check out Second and Goal. It's easy, people. It's really, it's really actually easy to win your league. Uh, but Matt, you got to say something about Jose Calderon before we say goodbye. Much like Jose Calderon, Nate Robinson, no, Nate Washington is going to have a big year. Both of them, both of the Nates. It's, I don't know what would be more surprising to me if Nate Washington or Nate Robinson had a big year this year, but I'm going to look forward to it. So, all right, my friend, I will talk to you soon. Good luck with the move. <laughs> I thought I had like yeah. some stage moving advice to you, but all I can say is good luck because moving sucks no matter when you do it. I'm just going to go live under a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye, guys. Bye, Bye, Robin. Bye.